Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a horror anthology podcast by Superversive Radio, with no affiliation with any detective agency, person real or imagined, or the dark forces of Terre. It is not intended for children. This is Jim Donovan. The time is 10 p.m. and I'm recording from my home. After I absorbed the mirror monster into my soul gym, I decided to do a little more research into the artifact itself, see if I could find an answer to the monster's identity. There are no new monsters, but sometimes old creatures learn new tricks. It didn't take long for me to realize that I am an idiot. The line of salt that I had drawn in front of my mirror to prevent the monster from coming out into the world also prevented the soul gym from yanking him out of it. Even if I could send a line of the Ferrum Visio into the mirror, I couldn't pull my fishing line back out. The mirror monster was just a stronger-than-average ghost. I was, and still am, pretty disappointed by that revelation. But it did help me understand a bit of the Soul Gem's limitations. Still, there's more to learn, and I want to learn it all. My research would have to wait, however, because I got your text about my next case. We are receiving reports from our contact in the Vatican that necromantic energy is emanating from the Librea Tarpits. Our allies are currently occupied with issues in a hidden Aztec temple across the Mexican border, and are not able to investigate or rectify the problem. Using your best judgment, determine if this is a problem that you can handle, or if you'll need us to pull in support from a complementary agency. I always feel so condescending when you say that, Control. Oh, does a real investigator need help? <sighs> anyway, the Brea Tar Pits are a national landmark that was made famous by the 1993 Schwarzenegger movie Last Action Hero. It's a park built around naturally occurring, highly smelly pits full of black sludge. It's an active Ice Age paleontological dig, so there are all manner of fossils of various large critters. Large, dangerous, hungry, teeth-like swords. That sort of thing. There was nothing to be gained by just sitting around, dreading the worst possible scenario. Heck, it could just be some idiot kid who wears too much Hot Topic clothing and juggalo face makeup, trying to summon a zombie T-Rex, without realizing that T-Rexes weren't from the Ice Age. You know, a cool attraction for some sweet party. Guys have done crazier things for a girl. But I know how bad my luck is. There can't possibly be a solution that simple. Right? I called ahead to check if the Tar Pit Museum was still closed. <laughs> of course it was. Everything is still closed. Yeah, gotta say, it makes discretion easy. I'm actually pretty pleased about that, because now I don't have to deal with families full of nerdy kids quoting obscure dinosaur facts, while at the same time juggling the forces of Ultra Terror. Look, I love kids. I just hate having to rescue them. Especially when the rescue goes wrong. I never want to see undersized coffins again. Well, I waited until nightfall to avoid paleontologists and their uncomfortable questions about why I'm shoving some nerd in black robes headfirst into tar. I drove over to Santa Monica Boulevard in La Brea, parked on the street, deciphered the confusing lunacy that is L.A. parking signs, and reasoned that I had two hours, if I put 20 bucks in the meter. I'm not sure if parking enforcement comes by this late, but better safe than sorry. Control, I'm putting that on the expense account. Average people can survive driving in L.A. It's the parking situation that'll kill you. 
Besides, most necromantic work tends to happen around solar midnight, when night is as far from dusk as dawn. It rarely ever happens exactly at 12am, but yeah, it's close enough. Solar midnight is basically like the equinoxes, when the earth is either at its closest or farthest from the sun. Necromantic activity takes place at solar midnight for the ritual symbolism, but their magic is effective any time. It's the ritual that's the most important thing here. What's more, it comforts necromancers when no one can see them practicing their magic. They know what they're doing is morally great, at best, and wildly evil approaching nefarious at worst. It was my hope that what I was about to do would make the entire necromantic community more afraid as a whole. Fortunately, La Brea is a fairly busy street, and because most of the and because most of the tar pits are just a public park, I can just walk up without having to jump any fences. At least, for most of the trip. Since it is a public park, there are dozens of homeless guys camping every which away. And drug deals are, of course, going down in the more dimly lit areas of the park. There's not a lot of violent crime in the Hancock Park area, mostly just burglary, and a lot of burglary at that, by the way. But it's still worth taking precautions. For the record, that was what I've named the 1911 pistol that Jack sent me, illegally, I might add, through the mail, first class, after that near fiasco with the vampire agency. Old precaution was fit snugly in a back holster. May not be comfortable, but it most certainly is comforting. Especially when I had to walk by several clearly methed out bums. Uh, sorry, transients. This was an ancient pit of death and despair, so if I idly slipped into the Vermvisio, I'd be at risk of attracting the attention of all manners of ghosts, grims, spirits, demons, etc. Still, though, I can't think of any other way to find a necromancer in that huge park without a little help. I had a plan. I needed to get access to the tar pits themselves. The tar could reveal something to me that I couldn't find by merely looking around with my eyes. Most of the tar pits are open to the public. I mean, they're fenced in so kids can't get in and drown, but you can see them quite clearly. And you can see quite clearly that they are very boring. They're just puddles of stinking black ooze everywhere. But sometimes, pockets of tar would just seep out of the ground itself the public could touch tar that was tens of thousands of years old. I don't get the appeal. Anyway, I found one of those little offshoots. <laughs> They're all over the park. And I just knelt down. I looked around to make sure no one was watching me, but of course, since it was nearly midnight, I have no idea if anyone actually was watching me. I reached my hand out to the fetid goo and lightly rested my palm in it. I barely touched the tar. I closed my eyes and focused outward. I slipped my senses into the visio without fully opening my eyes. To do so would be to risk detection by all things nasty. Instead, I used the tar in front of me as a kind of conduit to find the tar that Mr. Creepy Necromancer was using for his summoning ritual. And there it was. A tugging sensation, like fingers reaching out to wrap around my hand. My soul was being drawn to an area of the park that I don't think had ever been open to the public. Some digs were considered too fragile to be exposed to the flash photography and careless attention of the unwashed masses. So, there are some buildings around the park that enclose some of these more private digs. I stood up and severed the connection. If the tug I had felt was this strong, then it was a sure bet that the necromancer would be pretty obvious when I got inside. I walked towards the building from where the sensations originated. It was a squat, ugly cement structure. It looked like a bunker or a nuclear fallout shelter. This did not bode well for whatever was inside the structure. I opened the door. I had expected it to be dark inside. What I didn't expect 
was for it to blow frigid air out into the night itself. The threshold hummed with power held back by the strange laws that govern buildings and the Otra Terre. I didn't even have to be in the Visio to feel it. It was like walking through a pool of water, or syrup. I started walking, being drawn towards an area in the center. Doors that would normally be opened with keycards and retina scans lay open and unlocked. I stepped through each. I didn't know where I was going, but my body did. I just had to keep putting one foot in front of the other, and I'd find whatever ritual was going on. As I walked, one foot in front of the other, I began to hear an odd noise. It sounded like someone was whistling and humming at the same time. Kind of a... Noise. The whistling notes would trill out exceedingly high and piercing, while the humming maintained the same deep bass thrombing. It didn't follow any set patterns, like a tune to a song. It just kind of jumped and skittered all across the various octaves, into realms I'm fairly certain only dogs could hear. Finally, the corridor led me to a large central room that had been built over a small tar pit. It was totally empty. No chairs, no lights, nothing. Instead, an eldritch green glow lit the room. I couldn't discern a source of the light. The tar boiled and bubbled. Large bubbles. As tall as a man. Inside the tar, submerged up to his waist, was a figure in a marked-up hazmat suit. His arms were splayed out to either side, then above his head, repeating the motion. He was chanting in some language I did not understand. I don't like the look of this. I leveled my gun, aimed, and squeezed the trigger. I couldn't have missed. I was only 20 feet away. My shooting range record was better than that. Not only did I not hit the man, but the noise was oddly muted. It sounded tinny, distant. There was no resounding, ear-aching crack. If anything, it sounded closer to the unbelievably quiet discharge of a silenced pistol from those old James Bond movies. I cranked a couple more rounds at him, just in case reality had only taken a hiatus. Same result. No joy. The man in the tar continued to chant. The weird whistling sound was not coming from him. There was nothing nearby to indicate the source. I looked around and found a little office cubicle a few doors back. I ran in, grabbed an office chair, and came back to the room with a necromancer. I hoisted the chair over my head and hit a wall before I could throw it. The chair was stuck above my head. I yanked my head around to see if someone was holding it and saw some idiot college kid, acne and all, in a long black robe. I tried to wrestle the chair away from him, but... Look, I'm more of an academic than a brawler. There's not a lot of need to bench press when the things you fight tend to fight with the mind rather than with the body. Stupid kid overpowered me, pushing me away. Then he hurled the chair at my head at a speed faster than I would have been able to throw it. I managed to lean out of the way so that I only got clipped by the soft cushioned back of the chair, rather than the hard, rolling wheels. In that weird, muted atmosphere of the ritual chamber, it didn't really feel that bad. The idiot kid who threw the chair at me, and missed, did not take into account that the necromancer was in a direct line from me and the chair. So it shot towards him <laughs> and took him out. <laughs> he cartwheeled ass over tea kettle. The wannabe Dark Lord ran off, probably afraid his boss would flay the skin off his back if he stuck around. The chanting abruptly stopped as he tried to right himself in the muck. The man-sized bubbles that formed in the tar began to explosively pop. I hadn't noticed earlier, but even though the air around me was frigid, the tar itself appeared to be quite hot. 
because when each bubble burst, they let out steam and gas. The man in the tar thrashed about. It looked like something had grabbed him. He had pulled himself almost entirely out of the tar, but the tar was still creeping up his body. I didn't want to help him. He had endangered all of Los Angeles with his reckless dark magic. But I still didn't know what he was summoning. There's nothing to be gained from letting him face the consequences of his actions. Yet. What's the old saying? Don't summon what you can't put down? I rushed over to help him. I began dragging his worthless, stinking, necromantic hide out of the muck. It felt like something was fighting me to drag him back under. He clawed desperately at me, trying like mad to escape from whatever was trying to pull him underneath the tar. We almost had him out, when I saw a black, tar-covered hand reach up into the air. It slapped against the necromancer and formed a vice around his leg. I could see huge, bulging muscles on a hand that could easily palm a beach ball. The necromancer screamed like he was being crushed, but I pulled all the harder. The hand slipped off the slick hazmat suit and remained upright and grasping. I pulled my gun back out, and just like blind Han Solo shooting the Sarlacc to save Lando, I shot the giant-sized pointer figure. I'm pretty proud of that shot. Under duress, aiming in the dark, and I hit a finger. I have to tell Jack about that one. Of course, it didn't sever the finger. A 45 was nowhere big enough to cause that catastrophic damage, but it definitely felt the blow. The hand recoiled and sank back under the sludge. I pulled the necromancer the rest of the way to relative safety. The eldritch green light that had suffused the entire room was now flickering. Once again, I couldn't figure out why or how any light was radiating. Even though I was speeding up, I still felt the effects of that strange slow motion. There was no source anywhere. I helped him to his feet, and we limp ran our way out of the room. Once we got outside, into the corridor of offices, I noticed the buzzing hum had totally silenced. The only sound I could hear was the bubbling of tar the next room over, and our own panting for breath. I pulled his hazmat mask off. The face that stared back at me was a shocked, pasty white face. Brown hair, bad teeth, had to be British. He confirmed that when he spoke, and... Pardon me, Control, but I feel I've got to at least try to imitate his stuffy mannerisms, if only to heap insult to injury. What the bloody hell were you doing back there? You could have gotten us both killed. You still might have. I punched him in his stupid British face. Just hard enough to do for his teeth what the British health system couldn't. While he was sputtering, I said, The next words I hear out of your foul mouth had better be an explanation of what that thing is. What did you bring back? He started laughing. Not that manic, fervent laughter we usually associate with Batman villains. This seemed more... heartfelt. Genuine. Like he was actually happy. That unnerved me worse than supervillain cackling. I did it. I did what that fool Hawkwood never could. Hawkwood. The necromancer who'd created my soul stone. The man who's the very reason I am who I am today. I stood up and dragged the laughing Brit with me. I slammed him against the wall. His head rebounded off the sheetrock. <laughs> Thank God for adrenaline. I punched him in the gut to set the tone for everything that was going to be coming. He doubled over and slid down the wall. He began coughing, but I don't think I hit him hard enough to make him vomit. Pity. As he bent over, I grabbed him by the hair and tilted his face so that he looked me in the eye.
what did you bring back? He smiled his crooked teeth smile again, now with blood covering his teeth from one of the times I hit him. He breathed out one word. Nephilim. I let him go. He sank back to a mostly fetal position. Nephilim. The scions of demons and humans. Giant creatures totally ruled by their id. There are rumors of them being able to rip limbs off humans as easily as we would tear a sheet of paper, shrug off arrow fire, and run faster than a horse. They are the origins of the most superhero myths we have today. They were the reason God Almighty flooded the earth. If even a fraction of the myths I'd read about them were true, from reports from other paranormal Pinkerton agents, historical accounts, and ancient paleontological records, we would not do well if a fully formed Nephilim were rebirthed into the world. And if one got released in downtown LA, there'd be a massive depopulation event occurring before the National Guard could mobilize. You idiot. You brought a Nephilim back to the world of the living? Why would you even do this? To prove I could. My name will go down in history as the only human necromancer to successfully raise an antediluvian man from the dead. I brought the 1911 under his chin. If you don't sever whatever unholy connection binds it to this plane, there won't be anyone left to write history. He panicked at that. How odd he wasn't ready to die yet. One would think necromancers would get over the natural fear of death. Well, it's not bound here yet. No, no. My acolytes are still holding a seance in the observation room to try and bind the soul of the Nephilim to its body. No, what you saw was a sort of nervous reflex, I think. Just think of the fascinating implications of this. Soul and body and more, all acting as one. I looked up. I looked back into the tar room. Apparently my sixth senses were triggering again. One of the hands was pushing against the black tar. I could almost see the crown of its head breaking surface tension and cresting. The soup that the air had become vibrated with menace. A monster was about to be reborn. I couldn't let the seance go any further. I left the Brit to ponder his impact on life and death. I regret that I never got his name, but we didn't have much time for idle chit-chat, and I needed to destroy his life's work, as well as his work on life. I didn't notice the observation room when I initially burst in on the ritual. That was one thing Marie always said about me. <laughs> I'm not very observant. You can't sleepwalk through the paranormal Pinkerton life, she'd always say. <laughs> I traced my steps back from the main room and found a side door that had to hold the observation room. It must have been the trance-like state I was initially in when I came in. But I had missed the dark red glyphs on the walls. I smelled iron. Probably blood. Who was I kidding? It was blood. I didn't recognize the glyphs, but that's because I never studied Hawkwood's journals as well as I should have. Well past certain events in which I was interested. Certainly would have given me a clue as to what I was in for, that's for sure. There were a lot of glyphs. Gallons upon gallons of blood was spattered on the walls as I walked to the side room door. I opened it and beheld a charnel house. Exsanguinated men, women, and a whole lot of children were stacked like cordwood in one corner. Almost every square inch of the room was covered in bloody glyphs. There should have been a giant window peering out onto the tar pit next door. But it was utterly red. Each glyph in the room was intricately drawn, as though by an expert calligrapher. The stink was overpowering. 
In the center of the room were six robed figures. Probably all college students, like the one who rested the chair from my grip earlier. They were chanting, each in a different language. Each language would be considered dead. Ancient Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic, Babylonian, Sumerian. I think one was even chanting an Enochian. It has a bad habit of vibrating in the ear. Almost like you can understand it, but I never would. The source of the sickly, unreal light from the other room floated in the center of the circle. No fuel or bulbs in sight. It reflected eerily off the blood stains. Its flickering made the bodies piled up appear to move. And in the presence of necromancers, it wasn't beyond the realm of possibility that some form of unlife was present in these corpses. These apprentice necromancers were despicable creatures to control. They murdered people to bring life to an abomination. I pulled out my 1911, loaded a fresh magazine, and emptied it into their disgusting, murderous bodies. I regret nothing. The ritual stopped. The head and arm screamed like a wounded elephant and sunk back into the depths. The tar pit stopped bubbling and went still. The light faded when the last body hit the floor. A keening whine passed out of the dead and into the air above me, like a balloon leaking out air. I loaded a fresh magazine and double-tapped the heads, just in case British necromancer tried to make zombies out of the students. He'd be unable to make use of them with the trauma I caused their brain stems. Control, I sifted through the bodies of the victims. There were 18 of them. I found five IDs on the adults. The kids, they, they obviously didn't have any ID. Two of them looked similar enough to have been siblings. A boy and a girl. I took pictures of everyone. Even, even, well, it's all in the Dropbox. An old man in priest garb, with several nuns and monks waiting in the wings, met me as I left the building. I was considering my options to cover up the issue. Detective Donovan? I watched him, carefully. He continued, The Aztec demons they call gods got frisky over the last month. Our inquisitors were thus unavailable. Was the ritual unsuccessful? I nodded. I didn't have much to say. Good. I'm sure some horror awaits us. The bodies we sanctified and cared for. I cut them off. I didn't want to listen anymore. I just clapped his shoulders in as brotherly manner as I could. Just walked off. There was one failure tonight. The British necromancer. The one who knew Hawkwood. Escaped. I should have shot him when I had the chance. I should have... Well, it's not like I can't track him down. Evil dims the intellect. He won't leave his little project undone. Even if it meant his life. And trust me, it does. This is Jim Donovan. Signing off. Pinkerton's Ghosts is a podcast distributed by Superversive Radio and licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, share-alike, international license. This episode was written and performed by Ken Dickison, who also performed the audio editing. Ben Wheeler edits, directs, produces, and herds cats. Visit us on Facebook, read articles on SuperversiveSF.com, and wherever podcasts are distributed, including unauthorized TV, you'll find us. Contact us through Twitter at Pinkerton's Ghosts. Support us on Patreon, 
or email us at pinkertonsghosts at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>